Welcome along to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as usual by Greg Lance Watkins. You've seen the interview. Today we ask, are Harry and Meghan victims or self-centred narcissists? Do stay with us. Well, Greg, we've got a lot to talk about and not much time to do it in, so we'll crack straight on. One of the things I picked up in the early part of the interview in particular was that Meghan didn't seem to understand what she was signing up for by becoming a member of the royal family. She admitted that her knowledge of the royal family was superficial before she met Harry. She Not something that was discussed very widely in her own household or among her peers in America. And it seemed to me that, and I, I thought this going back to when they first met, and I thought it when we did the podcast discussing them last year, back in January of last year, which is still available on the website. She seemed to think it was all about Project Megan, virtues like duty and service and not really part of her vocabulary. And that was something that came across very early on in the interview. I can see where she's coming from, but I think that um, three things make that sound terribly unsound as a complaint. Firstly, she knew nothing about Harry and the royal family. Really, I wonder how many Americans knew Fergie and her daughter, Princess Eugenie because Meghan did. So she was well acquainted with the royal family and its existence, uh, unlike most people. Secondly, there were two great examples. Edward VIII's divorcee American wife and the disaster that was in terms of protocols and marriage. And of course, Grace Kelly, who married the Monogasques of Monaco and married Prince Rainier, and that too was a disaster. Um, she ended up going from a millionaire um, builder family background in America um, to being the princess of Monaco um, with a serious alcohol problem to cope with the difficulties that led to her eventually driving her car, some said deliberately, off of a mountain road. So there is precedent for problems. Well, there, there is, yes. But what happened here is that I think Meghan, she was, OK, a divorcee, somebody who was already in the public eye. She met Prince Harry and she thought that she could use the, the royal family as an extension of Project Meghan, whereas the reality is, OK, let's, let's take Diana as an example of the point I'm trying to make. Diana was, for all her faults, she was a breath of fresh air for the royal family in that um, she got rid of a lot of the stuffiness. She was much more approachable. She had a way of interacting with people that was less formal than what had gone before. But nevertheless, even Diana understood that you are joining the royal family and certain things are what they are and you're going to have to work around them. They are not there to serve you. You are there to serve them and you are there to serve the nation. And I think Meghan... There's a, there's a mentality, it happens among young Brits a lot, and I think it happens a lot in America as well, in that they see the royal family as a sort of extension of celebrity culture. They don't think of it in terms of the crown and its place in our unwritten constitution. They see it as an extension of the Kardashians or the Beckhams or the whoevers. And I don't think she understood that, yes, Meghan, you're going to have to put your own needs to one side. Yes, you can mould your duties in your own personality and your own image, and you can move things on a bit. 
in terms of bringing things into the modern age, but ultimately you are there to serve and you've got a life ahead of you of duty and service. And I don't think, Greg, that she ever really understood that point. Uh, I don't think many people do. They um, see the splendid apparent life, but they don't realize that the queen is up every morning at her desk by eight o'clock mm. and that she works solidly on paperwork until midday, whatever else she's doing. Mm. She, um, if she is going on a visit to open some event, not so much nowadays due to her age, but she takes work with her in her red boxes, which she does either on the train traveling there or in the back of the car. Yeah, and what, pe what people don't realize, what you're saying is correct, what people work. don't realize is that she only has two days off a year of doing that, and they are Christmas Day and Easter Sunday. Every day, so the other, what, 364 days of a year, she is receiving her boxes and she's doing her boxes every day. She is on top of what's going on in Parliament, the various things going on in the Commonwealth. That is the Queen's role. So it's not a lazy life by any stretch of the imagination. It's not something that many people in their 90s would fancy doing. But in terms of Meghan, I don't think she ever really understood this. She was signing up for duty and for service. Now, I do have some sympathy with a lot of people would find it quite a claustrophobic and a very constrained environment. Meghan was saying that there was a four month period where she left the palace walls twice. And quite early on in the interview, she said um, she wanted to meet some friends for lunch. And the advisors around her said, oh, that's not a good idea, Megan. You're going to be photographed and you've already got enough publicity. Well, what I was wondering at that point in the interview was, are they telling you you can't go or are they telling you they'd rather you didn't go? Because there's two things you can do there. You can argue your case and say look, the way I would have phrased it is, look, they're writing about me anyway. I'm not really bothered. I'm not having a wild party. I'm just going to a restaurant for lunch with friends. Alternatively, bring the friends to her at the palace um, or wherever it was she was staying. There are ways around this. And it sounds as, as though to me she couldn't handle or didn't like the fact that constraints were put on her freedom. Yes, her passport was taken away from her with good reason. Um, but she's making it sound as though she was put in prison in some way. I don't buy into that, Greg. Her passport was taken away from her because she travelled on royal duty and didn't need a passport. Mm. Mm. She, she was travelling on private aeroplanes and being met by dignitaries, um, not for her going through customs anymore, not for her to um, confront immigration. Um, a passport was not important. Mm. A passport is a document for people who aren't unofficial state business. Yeah, let's get real about this and compare it to Diana. Now, I know through conversations I have had that Diana would quite often actually put a baseball cap and a pair of sunglasses on, a pair of roller skates, and go roller skating around St. James's um, Park near the palace. And she, she was able to do these things even within the constraints of, of royal life. So I think in terms of Meghan, Yes, there is adaptions to be made. Yes, you're going to have security around you everywhere you go from now on. But was she actually entering into a dialogue with the royal household and the security people about what she should and shouldn't do? Or was she throwing a strop? Because it sounds, and look, we can't comment too much on the bullying allegations that have been made against her. But it sounds to me as though 
she wasn't exactly easy to work with and work alongside and enter into a dialogue with. Well, we saw this in spades, didn't we? Um, with the press release uh, for two hours with Oprah Winfrey, um, mm. because that wasn't an interviewer. Um, Oprah Winfrey didn't interview her at all. She merely prompted them along as the presenter of their press release. I mm. think that if she had actually taken the role of a competent uh, interviewer, Meghan would have fallen to pieces within the first five minutes. Well, I would have asked obvious things about the, the relationship with her sister and indeed with her own father. And Oprah Winfrey didn't mention either of those things, which I thought was in excel itself absolutely extraordinary that these things never came up. But moving the, the conversation on, the, the big bombshell moment in the interview was this thing about um, baby Archie when she was expecting baby Archie and his skin colour. Now, first things first, Meghan Markle, however she identifies herself, she's not really black, is she? Let's be honest, she is mixed race. And in any family, I think there would be a discussion, hopefully taking an appropriate tone of, Oh, I wonder, will it be more like um, Megan's mother or Megan's father? I think that is a perfectly normal conversation to have. Now, in terms of the royal context and in terms of the duty she performs, I think it would have been a wonderful thing if baby Archie had been born with quite dark skin, because in terms of, one, it reflects the modern world and mixed race households, which an increasingly num number of people live in, both in this country and elsewhere. And secondly, in terms of the life of duty and service she has, the baby would look more like 60, 70% of people in the Commonwealth. What I'm wondering, Greg, she says that this conversation was had. It's not so much that it was had. I want to know about the tone of it. I want to know, was it said, oh, I wonder, uh, Megan, will, will, it, will the baby look like your mother or will it look more like your father or will it look more like you? Will there be a throwback there to a generation? Or was it more sinisterly? Was it, oh, I hope it's not black? Because then, you, then you've crossed the line and you're saying something negative. She didn't, she didn't make that comment. No, she didn't. But the insinuation was there that it was done in a negative way. Um, that was what she was hinting on. Now, this statement that's come out of Buckingham Palace this evening, reading between the lines, the Queen is effectively saying, as far as, as I interpreted it, this is nonsense, um, that no, nothing untoward was said. Am I reading this the right way, Greg, that it's not so much of that conversation was had, which I don't have a problem with. It's about the tone and the context of what was said, the words that were used and the way they were said that would have been important in that sense. Let me give three very quick answers to that. One, I would be astonished if Meghan's mother and her father had not said, I wonder what colour this child will be in conversation. Two, I had that conversation with several people. I said, I wonder if she will be the same colour as Meghan, who, by the way, when she was acting in the soap opera so, uh, Suits. Suit, yeah, I actually hadn't noticed she was anything other than um, olive-skinned um, and quite normal, could have passed as Italian, Mediterranean. Um, I didn't even realise that she was half black and her mother was black. I didn't actually care, but I, and in conversation, I said, I wonder what she'll be. I hope that one of their children will be the same skin color as her mother, because that will put an end to the petty racism of an awful lot 
of that tiny minority who could give a damn. Yes. And I, thirdly, hmm. I think she has selected from a racist standpoint herself, colour as an issue. And please don't try to pretend to me that blacks do anything other than measure their own degree of whiteness. Otherwise, how would the makeup companies that have been producing makeup to a skin lightener since the pharaohs used arsenic on their skin all the way to uh, companies like Maybelline in the, the 60s and 70s who produced all types of skin lightener and look at the extent to which Michael Jackson went in terms of skin lightener. There is within the black community tremendous degree of racism. Well, I'm not making sweeping generalizations about black people because you know there, there isn't a black race as such. There are people from all over the world and various individuals, families and communities, some are better integrated into mainstream British society than others. So I'm not going to go down that particular road in terms of that. And there's also the irony, the great irony there, of course, is that a very large number of white people go on holiday and spend two weeks lying on beaches or go under uh, dangerous sunbeds, giving themselves all sorts of chances of getting skin cancer to make themselves darker skinned. So that's the great irony there, isn't it? But in terms of this whole race issue with Megan, which is what this is really about, I want to know the context of what was said and not so much that the word, somebody clearly did raise the issue. We don't know who it was. At least one member of the royal family, it seems, did raise the issue. What color will the baby's skin be? I want to know the context in which that was said. And at the moment, we don't have that. So I'm pretty sure as I can be, there's two sides to that story. In the time we got left, I want to touch on this issue of uh, mental health. Now, I don't take the issue lightly, mental health. I'm glad we can discuss it much more openly as a society than we could have done in decades past. And that can only be a good thing as far as I'm concerned. But in terms of what happened with Megan, it does seem okay. She found the atmosphere very claustrophobic and she clearly was very unwell. She was saying she was feeling suicidal. She talked about the incident when they went to the Royal Albert Hall together and she was very upset. Even when the lights were down in the Royal Box, when the performance was going on, she was in tears. What I don't understand, though, Greg, is that her husband, Prince Harry, has done some admirable work in terms of mental health, particularly in terms of what uh, ex-armed service personnel have been through and everything like that. He's had a lot of therapy and a lot of help himself. I don't understand. So clearly, Greg, point one, there is help available for royal family members who have mental health issues, as Harry is a living example of that. And secondly, how hard would it have been for Harry to pick up the phone to his therapist and say, look, my wife is in a bad way and needs help. Can either you or put me in the right direction of someone who is in a position to help her? Why didn't he do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sorry, I don't buy into this Poor me. People ha all have mental health to some degree during their life and they have these problems and nobody was in a better position to solve the problem than Meghan Markle and no one else can solve someone's problem unless they want it solved. I think she has picked, almost selected a victim status mm. for herself because Harry knew all about mental health. He'd had a great, he admits openly 
that he's had a great deal of personal therapy as a result of her, his feelings pertaining to his mother and uh, he is still having mental health problems dashing around trying to blame everybody for anything that happens um, and blaming the media. Hmm. How on earth they got a verdict against the Daily Mail? I have no it, idea. It was, it was the, let's be clear, that was the Mail on Sunday, it's sister paper, and they were told last weekend to put a prominent front page apology. I agree, and I have no idea, and I don't see it as justice. They hmm. were given a letter by Meghan's father. He hmm. owned that letter, and it was up to them whether they published. Meghan, the second she handed that over, to her father no longer owned it i think it was tasteless hmm. but the court should not be arbiters of taste well in terms of taste that's a very good word you've used there because let's look at who Meghan markle has fallen out with over the course of the last few Everybody. years well let, let's look at it right her first husband her father her sister her brother she's in my view been insulting to the queen She's fallen out with her in-laws in a way that will be very difficult to ever put right. Piers Morgan, okay, we've learned today that Piers Morgan has, has left Good Morning Britain. The story there was that they were in a Sussex pub. He knew Meghan Markle and they were friends at one time. They were in a Sussex pub and they, they spent several hours together just chatting. She didn't hint in any way that she was dating Prince Harry, announced it a few days later. Piers sent her a text message or something to congratulate her. And she, at that point, uh, cut him out of her life, completely without explanation. But let's look at who her big mates are now. Her big mates seem to be Oprah Winfrey, Netflix and Spotify. Now, Greg, I will respect any member of the royal family, anywhere else that said, look, I want to take a step back from public life, do my own thing. Because all right, Princess Michael of Kent um, took a, a step back from public life many years ago. Um, her problems are quite well documented. Um, things happened in her life 40 odd years ago. Uh, we've learned recently that actually she'd been living quite a quiet life as a music teacher um, in, in for quite some time afterwards. And I gather she still does do some work in that sense. She didn't make a song or dance about it. An announcement was made, she's stepping back from royal duties. We, we then learned that she was indulging in her passion for music and teaching young people. Well, good for her. I don't have a problem with that. What Megan has done, okay, there was a degree of sympathy when they announced they were stepping away from public duty last year and everything like that. What we're now seeing is that they're not stepping away from the public eye. They're moaning about press intrusion and then giving a, a prominent interview that's being shown on 70 countries with one of the most famous TV stars in the world. So you can't have your cake and eat it, is what I'm saying. Uh, and on that note, Greg, we're, we're coming towards the end, but your final thoughts, sum up what you saw and how you feel towards her now. Very one very quick point that I think we've overlooked, uh, because it was done on, it was also part of the me, me, me colour and playing a race card, was the fact that Archie did not receive a title. Well, firstly, we were told prior to his birth that he was not going to receive a title uh, by choice of his parents who wanted him to have a normal life. Point two, he is the great grandchild of the reigning monarch. Under the 1917 protocol, which lays out who gets titles and who doesn't, great grandchildren do not. It is purely a title 
by choice if one is given, and mm. it very rarely is. Mm. Princess mm. Eugenie's child has not received a title because it is a great grandchild. Yes, yeah. Harry I... is the one who got a title, and he was the last as a grandchild. Yes, and he's now so far down the pecking order in terms of line to the throne because we got Charles William, William's children, then Harry. So he, he's so far down the pecking order now in terms of that. Yeah, it, it makes sense that his children don't receive the title, same as uh, Beatrice and Eugenie's children won't receive titles and indeed haven't done. So that is the state of affairs. But Greg, time has beaten us again. Uh, you know, we barely scratched the surface of all that was said over that two-hour interview, but I think we're broadly in agreement in our conclusions on this. My thanks to Greg. My thanks to you for listening. Join us again next time.